Welcome to Gleaning and Gathering. This is Eric Heimlich. Today I'd like to talk with you about the idea of developing local leadership. You know, one of the things that I hear about frequently from friends and others that are in ministry and those that uh, are looking for a pastor for their church is where can we find a pastor? I remember not uh, not too long ago hearing the story uh, from a friend of mine of a young man who was graduating from Bible college and had 17 different offers for churches that were needing a pastor and wanted to uh, recruit him to come and work with them. And you know, the, the huge need that's there in many places, it really highlights the need for leadership and for local leaders to be developed. And you know, I, I know that uh, our Bible colleges are doing a great work in that, and there are a lot of leaders that are coming out of ministerial programs from our Bible colleges uh, within our within our movement, but uh, there's still a huge need, and for every one that's graduating, there's probably 15 churches that you know they could uh, they could go to on average. So the the need is there, and so how do we develop leaders? that can serve in places that, uh, that really need uh, local leadership. How can we do that? And so uh, it, it made me think of another conversation that I'd had uh, with, with some friends. One of my friends worked for the Dollar General Distribution Center that is just a few short miles here from Victory Acres. He lived here at Victory Acres for a uh, number of years and he worked there. I was talking with him one day and I kind of displayed my ignorance when I said, I don't understand how Dollar General stays in business. Uh, you know, there's Walmarts all over the country. Why would anyone go to a Dollar General? And he said to me, you really don't know? And I said, no, I, I can't understand why anyone would shop at Dollar General. He said, well, you have to look at where they're at. He said, every little tiny town anywhere has a Dollar General. It's a long drive for many of those places to get to Walmart, but they can go to a Dollar General. And it got me thinking about ministry. You know, I, I think that many times that the advent of the modern Walmart church, I'll call it that, uh, the big church, the church that uh, if you're going to go to it, you're going to drive past 25 other churches on your way, and that you get there, they've got the massive parking lot, they got the great big sanctuary they've got you know the the lights the the screens all of that certainly you know many of those churches are doing great work and there's plenty of reasons why um, that they're growing and that they're needing that kind of space and so i'm not i'm not at all denigrating those churches please don't take me wrong that's not what i'm saying uh, i believe that there is a place for many different expressions of the body of Christ, and there's, an, there's a place for those. But I also recognize that not everybody is going to be cut out to pastor or to work in a context like that. But there are a lot of guys that I know that love God, they love people, they love their family, and they could be developed to be what I'll call dollar general pastors, to be able to shepherd a small group or a, a small congregation in a place that would share life together at a deep level, that would really dig in, and the aspiration would not to be uh, the next mega church, but would just be 
you know, we're going to be here and, and do good work and continue to love God and love people. And so how do we develop those kind of guys and begin to empower them and give them the, the tools that they need and the confidence that they need to be able to say, you know, with God's help, I, I can shepherd a group of people in this place. Because I think if you look at historical Christianity for the first at least 250, probably 300 years of Christianity, uh, the church was not in independent buildings. It met in somebody's house, and it was probably pastored by someone who didn't have a very thorough theological education. There weren't Bible colleges. Christians were persecuted. They're on the run. And yet, how did the church survive? How did the church not just survive, but thrive through those kinds of circumstances? And I think we can learn from uh, what's there. You know, for, for many of those, it was this collection of small, uh, very localized groups that were meeting, pastored by people that, that loved God and were doing the best that they could with the tools that they had. And so I, I think that there's, there's a lesson that we can learn. This is not a new thing, but I think that uh, for us to focus on developing leaders at every level and developing a team approach to ministry in a place where we have a, a group of elders that are, that are functioning together. Doing that, focusing on the biblical requirements rather than on charisma. You know, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you, you look at um, what Paul says to Timothy, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So in all those requirements, there's nothing about, you know, he needs to uh, present well. Uh, he needs to be a charismatic leader. Uh, he needs to have, you know, great hair. Uh, there's none of that. Uh, instead, you, you find uh, characteristics uh, mostly of character. And his leadership ability is primarily in how he's ruling well his own house. And it's a clue as to how he's going to care for the household of God, how he's going to care for this larger family of families. And so that's the, that's the, the real thing that we should be looking for, is men of character, uh, not just competence. You know, I know that there are graces and giftings that God gives, and I'm not diminishing that. I believe that uh, you know there are some who are who are called into pastoral work, and I, and I believe that that God has given them those giftings. But I also recognize that in addition to the the burning bush kind of call, there's also the burning house kind of call, as my friend Matt Matt Hallam would say. Um, there's the the need that's there. There's a local need for leadership and someone who is willing to step up and fill that need and fill that role, I think, is something that we need to be developing. And so, yes, you know, your, your primary 
responsibility throughout the week, maybe building homes or driving a UPS truck or being a school bus driver. But if God gives you the opportunity to be able to shepherd a group of people, we need to be developing those leaders at that level, developing dollar general pastors that can uh, that can help a congregation locally to to grow and to thrive. And so just a, a, a few points that I jotted down in thinking about this. First of all, start small and organically. You know, I think that there are a number of th- these sorts of leaders that I've been in relationship with over the years that as they experience a little bit of success and you know God helped me to be able to share a truth with a group of people, maybe I could do that again. Um, they can build on that. That success causes them to have the, the confidence to move forward. And so I think that affirming that and continuing to just help them take those little steps, whether it's, hey, I'd like for you to share you know, in a, in a little Bible study that we're going to have this Thursday, just something from your devotions. Can you share a couple minute thought with us? Or have them, um, have them lead in a way that is not necessarily an upfront sort of way. You know, a lot of what I've seen is that uh, guys that God's wanting to develop into leaders, they need to sit and soak and serve. As one of my African-American pastor friends says, uh, they need to apprentice to someone else who's doing this. They need to come alongside and they need to just sit in a meeting and be in a setting where what is being done is is uh, being observed. They just need to sit and they need to soak. You know, they need to to be in those prayer meetings. They need to be in those times where they're seeing uh, up front and and personally how God is working behind the scenes. They need to just soak in that environment. And then they need to serve. You know, taking care of taking out the trash and cleaning up after events and working uh, with a leader to lighten his burden, uh, do whatever needs to be done, carry his water, being an Elisha to the Elijah, I think is an absolutely essential thing. There is far more that is caught than taught in general. And when you see how Jesus made disciples, they, they went with him. It wasn't a discipleship class, you know, once a week after service at the synagogue, we're going to get together and have a discipleship class. No, they, they spent life with the master. That's how they were disciple. They walked with him everywhere. And um, for, uh, for three and a half years, they're sitting and soaking and serving and doing what needs to be done as Jesus gives them that responsibility, that opportunity. And so I think that you know, that's another way that we can, can help to develop leaders at every level. And then see how they respond. You know, as I am working with, uh, with different leaders, uh, I'll, uh, I'll throw a book out to them and say, hey, I think you need to read this. And a few weeks later, hey, did you have a chance to read that? Uh, no. I'm not going to be giving him any more books. I'm done. Uh, until he reads it, you know, uh, the ball's in his court. If he does read it and, you know, takes that to heart, then, hey, we'll talk about it and then move on to book number two. But I think you have to look at what are they doing with what they have. The biblical principle is he that is faithful in little will be trusted with much. 
That's the biblical principle. And uh, we, we had a guy here at, uh, at Victory Acres for quite a while, and his, his first job on the farm was uh, taking care of the chickens and getting up, making sure the chickens were opened up, making sure they were closed up at night, making sure they were fed, making sure they were watered, gathering the eggs. It, it's not rocket science. It's a simple job, but it's an important job. It needs to be done by somebody. And so, you know, along the way, uh, I kind of manage by walking around. That's my, uh, that's my style of leadership many times. Just check in here and there. I'm not checking in every moment of every day. I'm not looking over your shoulder, but I'm just going to look and see, you know, do the chickens have water? Uh, have they been fed? Are the eggs gathered? Is the uh, pen still wide open at 630 in the morning? You know, these are, these are telling things and they're character things uh, because on more than one occasion, when I found the chickens weren't cared for, we'd have a conversation. <laughs> um, hey, brother, chickens haven't been cared for. This is what we talked about. This is what I outlined. This is what was supposed to be done. This wasn't done. Now, why? And, uh, you know, there was some reason given, excuse given, whatever. Uh, but uh, then after, uh, after that, I would reiterate to him, he that is faithful and little will be trusted with much. You're not going to be trusted with a, a good job in a better place until you learn how to take care of a flock of chickens correctly and learn how to do that. And then, uh, you know, step two comes, but you can't get to second base without getting to first base. And so uh, this is where you need to start. And this is where we're at right now. And we're going to keep going over this lesson until we learn it, until we learn it well. And until we come out here and find, yes, the chickens uh, have water, uh, they have been fed, the eggs have been gathered, uh, the pen has been cleaned out uh, once a week like it's supposed to. Uh, these are the basics. And so I think, you know, when we begin to develop leaders, what we need to do is see what do they do with what we're giving them. Uh, are they being faithful to read the book we've given them to read? Are they being faithful to follow through on the task that they've been given to do? Uh, or are they dropping the ball? Uh, because uh, if they're dropping the ball and the little stuff, like cleaning the toilets uh, in the restroom, if that's the job that they've been given, then uh, they have no business being involved in, in the work, the larger work of caring for uh, the souls of people, of entering into the work uh, of God in, in more serious matters. And so um, I just think that developing leaders means, uh, means helping them to um, sit and soak and serve. Um, the next thing, too, is just focus on relationships, not buildings. I think the whole idea of planting new churches, and it's something that we're very interested in and excited about, both partnering and planting in new places, but focus on, on relationships. I, I have so much uh, respect for the people who are willing to go into a place and begin to develop new relationships and come as a student of that place. I just, I really do because every place is different and coming in is, is really challenging. But I, I also get very um, frustrated with uh, some organizations whose idea of planting a church means that we found a building that nobody wants on a dead end street that nobody could find if their life depended upon it. And we can get this for free or next to nothing. And so, you know, we've got a place where we can plant a church. You don't have a church. What you have is a building. And a building that is probably going to be an albatross around your neck. It's, 
it's going to require um, all kinds of money to renovate or to to get into a condition uh, where you can use it and then it's going to continue to cost money month by month and so immediately you've got overhead and immediately you have to focus on that and it's not a sustainable sort of situation instead what about going into a neighborhood and just living in that place and beginning to meet neighbors and develop relationships and then you know you use your use your living room uh, to invite in those or use a a local community center or a school cafeteria or all kinds of other options that are out there in terms of public spaces or even private spaces to begin to develop relationships it's one of the reasons why I love what we're doing at Awake Cafe so much. Uh, you know, there are so many people that will walk into a coffee shop that would never walk into a church. And the opportunity to be able to build relationships, real relationships, day by day relationships with people that become customers, regular customers that come in and will sit at a counter and have a conversation. And the opportunities that that opens up in this day where 30% of people have never been into a church building one time. That's what the statistics tell us. And they have very strong opinions about what goes on in church. They don't believe that you know churches are in their best interest. They think that it's full of hypocrites. They think that it's all bigoted people that are just completely and totally you know hypocritical. And, and they don't want anything to do with it, with organized religion. And so church buildings many times become an impediment to the gospel, a barrier to the gospel, rather than the other way around. Rather than a soul-saving station, it becomes something that repels the very people that we're trying to reach. And so how do we reach these people? Increasingly, it's going to mean that we're going to have to find you know, marketplace kinds of solutions to be able to reach them and to be in relationship with them. Uh, we're going to have to find those neutral places where we can actually begin to have a conversation and develop a relationship. And so, you know, what about a, a church meeting in a, in a coffee shop? Uh, what about a group of people that's uh, meeting in a, in a neutral space within their community rather than just a church building? What could happen uh, with that? And so I think just starting uh, organically, focusing on relationships, not on a building, uh, is really important if you're looking at planting um, with a with a new uh, pastor, a Dollar General style church. And then I think also it's important to just develop your team and to develop leaders at every level. You know, there are people that are within our congregation that God has gifted that may someday be able to pastor uh, a congregation, a Dollar General style congregation, and God may uh, use them to help us as a church to reach out to another place and, and to plant there. But I think that it's important to develop a team approach in doing that. I've seen terrible things happen when we send out someone by themselves to quote-unquote plant in a new place, and instead we end up setting them up for failure. There was a situation that uh, I was close to, and just ended disastrously. I'll just put it that way. It was in large part due to the leaders that were involved not making wise choices for those that were under their leadership. And it, it was terribly sad because it ended up with um, the young leader 
very disillusioned, very broken, very hurt. And there wasn't a way in the world that it could have ended well. They set him up for failure. And it makes me mad. It makes me absolutely angry uh, because I, I, I love this young leader. I have, have sat with him and, and talked with him. And to see what, what went down in that way, it, it never should have. We have to care for those that are under our, our watch. Uh, as Hebrews says, you know, submit yourselves to those who have the authority over you for they watch for your souls. We need to be, as, as leaders, loving those that are under our leadership and are, that, that are under our influence in such a way that we are setting them up for success uh, rather than setting them up for failure and caring enough about them as a person uh, to not send them into a situation that is, that is going to be potentially uh, threatening to them um, or disastrous to them. You know, I, I learned this lesson a few years ago in a very uh, pointed way. I'm a strong believer now in actively pursuing the will of God. At a time, at, at one time, I, I just kind of, you know, had to sit back and, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen, and kind of more of almost a case hurrah, hurrah approach to to leadership and leadership development. There was a young couple. She had been saved out of a cult and had come and ended up homeless for a while and she was sleeping on our couch and we were loving her and helping her and and she was working with our ministry and and protected her tried to help her through some really difficult waters and she came into relationship with another young man that was working with our ministry at the time and and they fell in love and got married and and uh, were wrestling through all the things that young married couples go through and he came to me and said, I've got this opportunity to be an associate pastor at a, um, at a church. And it was a church that I knew had its challenges. And I felt like it was a really bad idea, but I didn't say anything. Instead, I just said, okay, you know, you have this opportunity, uh, you know, and I didn't, I just didn't say anything. I didn't share my concerns at all. They, uh, they encountered the conflict that I feared that they would. And that conflict led to a wedge in their marriage. And ultimately, they separated and later divorced. And I look back on that with incredible regret. Because what I should have said to them when he came to me was, look, this is not a good idea. Just stay with us. And he would have. I know he would have. And we could have kept them close to us while they worked through those issues. And I think this, the end of that story would have been very different. But as it was, I did not heed that warning that was in my spirit. And they ended up in a situation that ended very badly for them. And what I'm saying by that is that, you know, there are, there are leaders that are under our, our leadership that, you know, they're, they're people, they're they're struggling with the issues in their lives and their families and their marriage. And, and, and so as, as leaders, we need to be very careful that we are putting their best interest ahead of the mission 
I think there's a great example of that in Acts 16, where you see Paul and Silas disagreeing, or Paul and Barnabas, rather, disagreeing about what should happen with John Mark. And there's, there's a very different approach to it. And if you're a people first person, then you're going to think Barnabas was right in that situation. You know, absolutely. We need to take John Mark with us. And if you're a mission first, task oriented kind of person, you're going to know Paul was right, you know. But I think that, you know, there's room for both in the church. We need both. And so we need leaders who are willing to take a chance on a John Mark. We need leaders who are willing to pull a John Mark close and put their arm around him and say, he's going to make it. Yeah, he had some troubles last time, but I'm not, I'm not giving up on him. And yes, he is going to go with us. But uh, you also need guys like Paul who are willing to say, the show must go on. We got to continue here. We can't stop. And so th- there's, there's need for both. I'm not saying that it's either or. Uh, it's both and. But we need to care for the people that God has given us and not put them in a place where they're not prepared for the level of pressure and the the kinds of challenges that they're going to face. You know, there are a lot of reasons why some churches don't have a pastor. And some of those reasons have to do with the kind of dysfunction that has been allowed to grow up in those places. And so, frankly, there there are some of those churches... They're without leadership, and they're without a, uh, a functional congregation that the best thing that could happen would be organizationally for them to go away so that something new can grow in its place. It, it just needs to die. And that would probably be the best thing for the kingdom witness in that place. I, I don't think that you know we need to necessarily look at the closing of every church as a negative thing. I think that uh, God has a particular purpose and plan in mind for each expression of the body of Christ. And so there are times when, you know, you reach a certain point where to send a young man into a situation or even an older man into a situation where there's just a level of dysfunction there that he's going to spend all of his time trying to undo and to rebuild. It's kind of like some houses, you know, there's a point at which in the remodeling process that you have to evaluate, you know, is this house going to be worth fixing? There are some houses that frankly would be better to be just bulldozed, you know, start over again, build from the ground up and build right rather than trying to undo because in, in remodeling and rebuilding, you're not starting from zero in order to get to zero you've got to undo a whole lot of other things. I remember when we were renovating the house in Detroit, you know, tearing all of it out and getting it back to the studs was a massive, massive project. And getting all of that out of the way, getting the rubble out of the way so that we could just get to the building process uh, was a whole lot harder than what it would have been if we were just starting with a blank slate. I think you have to honestly evaluate that. And there are some situations that it's just going to be too difficult. There's too much history there. Uh, There are too many challenges to overcome for it to really ever become a a healthy, functioning congregation once again. It's it's just time to to take it off life support and, and let it die so that something else can grow in its place. I remember in Indianapolis, uh, there was a congregation 
that uh, we were talking with about uh, the possibility of our Hispanic congregation using their fellowship hall. And uh, everyone lived, um, well, everyone that attended the church probably lived, you know, 20, 30 minutes away from the church building. And the church group had stayed the same, but the neighborhood around it had changed. And so they were just terribly fearful, this place that they were in. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a challenging neighborhood. Uh, it was the same neighborhood that we were working in and ministering in. And so uh, we were looking at the possibility of our Hispanic congregation sharing space uh, there and uh, renting. And I, I remember sitting in this congregation's meeting uh, having to answer absolutely inane questions uh, about our, our Hispanic congregation. One question in the meeting. Are those Hispanic people going to take things out of our refrigerator? Uh, we've got some, some soft drinks in that refrigerator, and uh, will they be taking soft drinks from us? Real question. Real church meeting. And a question that I had to answer with a straight face. There were some others that were about like that. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the church decided that uh, maybe they shouldn't uh, allow our Hispanic congregation to meet in their fellowship hall. It was probably best. The relationship would not have worked out well. But uh, I remember talking with the pastor of the, of the church later, and he was a friend of mine, and, and he said, you know, I've really been trying to get our church to reach out to our community, uh, but finally I just I had to give him an ultimatum. And I said, you know, either we reach out to our community or we need to move. The church's response was, when do we move? <laughs> and they left. They left the neighborhood. And what happened was that they ended up selling it to an African-American congregation. They were a dear, dear congregation and were, became good friends of ours. What moved into the neighborhood was exactly what should have been there. And it was a blessing. It was a blessing that that church was gone, uh, that other congregation was gone, and that there was a new, functioning, healthy church in its place that was filling that space in the neighborhood. It was a wonderful thing. So I think in developing leaders, we have to honestly evaluate the situations that we're sending them into. And sending a leader into a dysfunctional situation in a, a, a situation like the church that I described there uh, would absolutely be a bad idea. Um, there are not going to be good things that are going to come from that. And so I think that focusing on those biblical requirements instead of charisma. Some guys don't present well, and they just aren't upfront kinds of people, and yet they do have the ability to teach a, a small group of people. They have the ability to disciple others one-on-one, -on -one. and the skills of, of being able to share publicly can be developed in time. And so I, I really believe that we need to be looking to develop leaders at every level, and I think that particularly in this day and age, we need to be developing dollar general pastors um, for those places all around the United States and really around the world where there's a, a small to medium-sized group of people, believers that are meeting together and that need local leadership. They don't need a Walmart in their community. They don't need a big church. They need a dollar general. They need a place where they can be discipled and where they can be shepherded and led and where they can raise children and bury their dead and continue to live that out. You know, a generation ago, the Walmart church wasn't even a possibility, really. Your 
church options were limited by how far your horse could drive. You know, if you didn't have a very good horse that wouldn't go very far, uh, your options were, you know, whatever you could get to in the three to five mile radius that was right around your house. They called it a parish. And so whatever was uh, your option there in your parish is where you went. And you better keep good relationships there because uh, unless you wanted to move uh, somewhere else, which was a very expensive proposition, you're stuck with these people. And so you had to work through issues. And I grew up in a church like that. Um, Jefferson Christian Church um, back in 1833 uh, was was the only church in the area. And it uh, was a church that my great-great-grandfather attended uh, for over 50 years. Uh, the pulpit still uh, still has his name on it. It was uh, dedicated by his uh, his children and grandchildren in his uh, in his memory. And and so this church was was geographically based, not theologically based. And so it, originally it was a Congregationalist church. And then as I was growing up, it was connected to the conservative holiness movement, primarily through the pastors that we had there that uh, were from that background. And so that's, that's where I grew up. But there was a variety of different theological understandings and opinions, even within the local congregation, because it was a, a geographically based church rather than primarily theologically based as far as a denomination is concerned. It was not part of a denomination uh, while I was growing up. Uh, the challenges of that, I remember sitting in some of those meetings and hearing some of the rip-roaring discussions um, that, uh, that came out of those quarterly business meetings and out of those, those times together. And it was, it was healthy. It was good. And it was a strong congregation. It was a, it was a congregation that shaped me emotionally, theologically, spiritually, as I was growing up, it's a place that I got my feet down and got established. But there were, I don't know how many, but I would say it was safe to, safe to say probably at least 20 to 30 people that that church over the years sent out into ministry and into missions around the world and in other places that they, they sent them out it was a strong church. It was a sending church. It was a church with a, a missionary zeal and a missionary spirit. And to look at where it was, you would say, you know, there's nothing going on here. And yet God used it. And it was a, it was a tremendous blessing. And I'm a product of that. And I think that, you know, while there are a lot of opportunities that the Walmart-style churches uh, might have, at least within the last, you know, 50 years, that's a new thing. And I think that historically, what you see is, is much more the model that, uh, that I grew up in. And that is that you've got a, a parish church, a local congregation, that is basically limited to serving that community, serving those group of people. And so I think that continuing to develop leaders from the church and within the church and continuing to raise up uh, leaders that can work in a context that may be different from their own and may move into that place, but, but working with the team you have, working with the people that God has given you is where we need to focus. There's probably a lot more that uh, could be said about that, but uh, I've probably already said way too much. So uh, be interested in your thoughts on this and uh, how can we develop more dollar general pastors? How can we develop leaders 
at every level within our congregation. Uh, be interested in uh, what, uh, what you're doing or what uh, you think could be done for gleaning and gathering. God bless.